Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And this podcast is brought to you by Everything's Everything's Coming Coming Up Simpsons. Simpsons. Make sure to tune in on September 11th. We are talking about the episode Radio Bart with a special guest you may recognize. Hi, I'm Nancy Cartwright. And actually, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the (gasps) hell are you? Ah! We're so excited. This This is so good. This was one of our favorite episodes we've ever done. Mark your calendars. I don't know. You're probably already downloading it. What What is this life? Uh, September 11th, we are joined by, you already heard her, Nancy Cartwright. We're so excited. Please tune in. All right. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. My name is Robert Patrick. I play Gary Tyson. That's Gary Tyson with an I in the film Last Rampage. Evil broke loose in 1978. Arizona State Penitentiary. You know, that was interesting. What what, what it was like playing a real person as opposed to a, a fictional character. It was really trying to wrap your head around how this guy could do some of the things that he could do. That was the the things that you were drawn on. Of course, there was no way you're going to try to do an impersonation of a guy, nor was I going to try to, you know, get as heavy as the guy. Uh, I didn't have enough time to really go that route. But I, I, you know, I found him really, really interested in trying to live up to the charisma that he had. I fell in love with the folklore of the story, like there, you know, the the whole idea that he was a guy that was raised uh, during the Great Depression. See that, from a historical point of view, those kind of stories resonate with me. That yearning for something better, trying to find it, have to steal to get it. How do you deal with that if you're a religious person? You know, how do you run underneath that? How do you justify it? He had a double life sentence that he began to push his wife and his kids to say, God, you know, I'm going to serve one term, and when I die, I'm going to serve another term in hell. Uh, I got to get out of this. And, and the, the, the link that he was willing to uh, uh, go to to get his kids to help him get through this and get him out of prison was, it was fascinating to me. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at Last Rampage Film or on Facebook.com slash Last Rampage Film. Hey, welcome to the X-Files Files. I'm Kamel Nanjiani. Today we're talking about two episodes. We're talking about Nisei and 731, two mythology episodes. So I had a resident mythology expert, Devin Faraji. Does resident mean that they live with you? He doesn't live with me. Mm-mm. Some of my guests live with me. One of them is right here. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, so he's back. We talk about those two episodes, the usual stuff. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. I've heard that's the best way to get your rankings up. Uh, and I've been looking at the numbers. Seems like we have a lot of new British listeners still. So, still. So, hello, Emily. What's a Britishism I can say to them? Uh, Lori. Lori? Lori. Like a truck? And put something in a boot. Okay. That's, that's all I got. Lift. Have some bangers and mash, you know? Okay, alright. Getting a little offensive. We're gonna no, start. bangers and mash is delicious. Yeah, yeah. I was on a show called that for a little while. You were indeed. TNT. We know John. <laughs> uh, Reddit.com slash X-Files Files at X-Files Files on Twitter. I am at Kamel. And, um, oh, I want to plug a couple of shows that I have coming up. Um, on New Year's Eve in Oakland, I am at the Grand Lake Theater. New Year's Eve, Oakland, uh, Grand Lake Theater. I'm there with Natasha Legero, Brent Weinbach, some like surprise guests. It's going to be a really, really, really fun show. So uh, go to GrandLakeTheater.com to get tickets for that. Um, and then we're also doing an indoor kids show coming up, which is the podcast I do with my resident <laughs> video game expert, mm. Emily V. Gordon. And what is that, Emily? Oh, I was not aware that I was going to be required to do this. All right. Well, that's coming up, too. So. That's for Riot Fest LA, Oh, which is actually um, January the 16th, I believe. January the 16th um, at the Downtown Independent. Go to riotfestla.com. I maybe made that website up. Just Google Riot Fest LA. And hopefully uh, I'm going to have a lot more tour dates coming up. It's still a couple more months of Silicon Valley, and then I'm setting up a tour. So uh, I'll let you guys know. Come. Let's talk about the X-Files. Let's talk about whatever you want to talk about. Real quick. Um, because it's Christmas time, I watched The Ghosts Who Stole Christmas. Ghosts. It's a hard word to say. Ghosts Who Stole Christmas. Um, uh, and it was interesting, you know, I'll discuss it when we get to it, but it's interesting to see how much the show has developed in those three years, uh, the characters, and it just seemed like so much more confident. Um, and it's a very interesting, very weird Ultimately, very dark, but also very sweet episode. Anyway, um, so that's all about that. Enjoy this app. Hey, so Devin's back. How's it going, Devin? Pretty good. How are you doing? It's like 90 degrees the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, you're in shorts right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I was at the gym. And then, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I wish it was okay for guys to wear shorts. I just... It's it's frowned upon, and it I I want to reclaim it. I'm against shorts. I used to be I all about shorts, are. like through my twenties, and then I hit my thirties, and I was done. Done why, with shorts. Why why do you not like shorts? Nobody looks good in shorts. Nobody looks good. That's the thing. You don't look good. And I hit this point where I was like, I I, I look bad anyway. Let me stop going out of my way to look bad in other <laughs> ways. Let me try to rein it in as much as possible. You know. So, uh, but but you also are anti when other people wear them. Yeah, I just think it looks. Not that great. But the you though with those with those those gams. Yeah, I've got I've got gams. They go all the way to the floor. Um, thank you so much for coming. And so we're talking about Nisei and Seven Thirty One. Um, these are two pretty big um, myth, myth arc episodes. What did you think of them? I think that these episodes are really interesting because they're the they show the best parts of the mythology and the way that it can work the best. And it also shows some of the worst parts of the storytelling the show does. Um, how, uh, how so? There's too many scenes. 
there's this is a, t- a two-parter where there's too often I feel like I'm really being made aware that Mulder and Scully are pawns because people just keep showing up and saying to them, do this, don't do this, here's the truth. And there's just too many scenes of that. There's too many, there's Senator Matheson, there's X, and then there's the Godfather guy. There's too many insider people coming into, uh-huh. and then also the NSA assassin. Right. So there's too many people showing up and just telling them things. Uh, so that that's to me, true. that's a real problem. That's, that's a real x violency problem to me. When there's just when there's just one guy, when X shows up and just says stuff, and they figure things out, I like that. This is, you know, the the climax of this of this two parter is the guy from the syndicate showing up and showing Scully the train car. I'm basically telling her right. everything. Like right. it's not aliens; it's experiments and whatever. Um, they don't figure it out; they're told it. Right. And so that to me also because. This felt like a two-parter that could have been like a one-and-a-half-parter. There isn't quite enough story in the first episode. You know, it started off as a one-parter that then became a two-parter. That makes so much sense. Too long, yeah. Because the first episode, there isn't enough stuff in it. There's too right. much of Mulder kind of like skulking around random Vancouver locations. But he looks great. He looks very good. And looks, it looks, you know, it looks very nice and rainy and chilly. Yeah. It looks so Vancouver-y, these two episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. It's a great like, place gorgeous. to shoot. Gorgeous, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also these episodes... There's a lot of recap of the mythology in these episodes, which is sort of like, here, this is where we are with right. this. And you don't really find out a ton of new stuff, which I don't have a problem with necessarily, because I think that second one of this is, I think, way better than the first one of yeah. these. Um, probably because they were just trying to get to the second episode. It's a lot of setup. Episode one's all set up. Yeah. And episode two is a lot of payoff. It's got a pretty good like uh, cliffhanger, him jumping on the train, losing his cell phone. I feel like Mulder just needs to stay away from trains. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a good combo. Well, I mean, they just need to stay away from trains. There's a lot of train stuff in this. I was reading the, the thing, uh, again, Darren Mooney from the movie blog, and he was talking about how, like, trains, you know, the railways give him credit for um, sort of civilizing all of America, right? right. And connecting everyone on the railways. The reason we, the first time that we had, like, an actual, like, actual time zones, where it used to be every town would have, like, different, times they just had to well, it didn't make a difference right yeah it didn't matter but then it was like all right everybody's going to be right now 731 uh you know but he said also the dark side of it is that you know they exploited chinese people and railroad workers and stuff and obvious analogies to you know um uh like uh, stuff that happened in the holocaust uh, and things so it's like the dark side of trains that's a big x-files thing i think well and trains are cool in terms of conspiracy stuff and, and, and metaphor in that trains are they're like the invisible infrastructure of America yeah no one a lot of goods still get moved by train but you never see trains yeah you never see them no one gives a shit about them right right so and, they're they're there and they're, they're they're keeping America going but no one ever sees them yeah and I think it's cool also just because the way they are they're like these black opaque boxes so right. th- there's the sense when you see it in the beginning it's a nondescript train the kids are just waving right, at it right. and you're like what the fuck is in that train there's a great episode earlier where I forget which one it is but it's Mulder just t- chasing a truck across America and this sort of reminded me of that right. that thing of like the truth is here but it's like it's it's just right there it's so close right um, and you know sort of hidden in plain sight uh, they do a pretty fun thing with the Fox alien autopsy thing huh? they really hated that <laughs> Did you watch that? I Wasn't watched it. it Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes hosted it. I bought it on VHS. You did? Did you spend more than twenty nine ninety five? I I think I probably spent less than twenty. I'm trying to remember what I would have paid. I would have bought it at Tower Video. Uh huh. But I can't remember what I would have paid for it. I didn't have a lot of money back then, so it couldn't have been thirty dollars. Thirty dollars in is like, a lot. A lot of, uh, today, I would still be like, 
Thirty bucks? No really, way. I, I won't. I won't buy the greatest movies of all time on the Criterion yeah, Collection. I'm not for 30 buying bucks. Pants Labyrinth for thirty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but because uh, Mulder brings up that price a bunch of times, they have some fun jokes with it. But uh, they. So you've seen that whole autopsy thing. I haven't yeah. seen it. I remember when it was airing and it was a thing, but I never really watched it. Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible, and um, but it was a really good P.T. Barnum-esque yeah. build-up kind of a thing. Like You saw pieces of it in clips and pictures, yeah. and you're like, wow, that, that could be. And there was like a little tiny clip that we saw in advance, and then finally the entire thing showed up on TV, and everybody was like, oh, this is... This is so funny. Yeah, this then, is so profoundly funny. And the guy denied it for a long time, and then he admitted. Right. But he said that it's a recreation of a real one that right. was destroyed, and some frames from that are in this one. He's great, <laughs> very good. Yeah, I like those kinds of guys. Those yeah, kinds yeah, of hucksters. Yeah. That's really fun. To oh me. yeah, like there were those guys who found Bigfoot a couple of years ago. Remember? <laughs> yep. And they had a shot of Bigfoot in a freezer. Those guys are great. They came to one of the Alamo Draft Houses uh, to show off their fake Bigfoot. Was it anything with Bobcat's movie at all? No, it was before that. It was a couple of years ago. And they came to the Dallas Fort Worth, Fort Worth, I think maybe it was the Houston one. We got so much hate mail from the Bigfoot community. You because know, the Bigfoot community was super upset that they were getting like a platform. And we all thought it was like, this is fun. We'll show some Bigfoot movies. Yeah. And we'll look at this quite clearly phony Bigfoot. And those guys at the at that point were still saying it's real. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Bobcat was saying that he sort of now knows the Bigfoot community because he made a movie about it. And he had some crazy stories. Like there's like Bigfoot fan fiction with... Bigfoot having sex with women and stuff like there's that. There's a Bigfoot porn from the 70s that I'm, that's pretty great. There are all the ones they've done recently, but there's one from the 70s that's pretty like serious. Like I, They're really taking it seriously. I did a show at UCB, and I think they must have shown a clip from that because it's Bigfoot with a human penis having sex with a human lady. They're in like a big field. They're in uh, a big field. Yeah. They're outside. It's really it's very nice. And I it's remember well, well it was a late night show, and I looked over, and there was like an eight-year-old kid <laughs> with his parents. And I was like, don't come to the UCB. Don't do this. This kid's never going to forget this night. We just gave him a gift. How uh, furries are born. Exactly. Oh, so gross. I don't get the appeal of that. I just want uh, Star Trek porn. Like, just be normal skin colored. You don't have to be green or whatever. I don't know. I was young enough with Star Trek. The green ladies are pretty. Like if I go to a convention, there's a girl who's all green. And even if she's just sort of like, okay. Oh, like, really? I'm super. And I'll tell you, I, I'll actually, I, I feel like any girl who's dressing up in cosplay, I find a little more attractive than I normally would. Yeah. It's just the amount of effort that's in, in, in playfulness yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. And so it's, it's just more attractive. It's just that whole thing. Somebody who makes an effort is always more attractive. Yes. Which is why you shouldn't wear shorts. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I just feel so comfortable right now, though. Uh, there's the fun thing where Mulder's watching uh, a video and she's like, this is this not, is your not usual. usual entertainment. Yeah, he's just like a porn guy. And they're just like, they, that's just part of his thing now. <laughs> um, when did, so you've been watching all these and I haven't watched all these. When did this sort of get established? Pretty much pretty early on, there's hints of it. And uh, by now it's established fully. But, and it's interesting because on the message boards, when the first starts, by the third one, people are like, hey, is he into porn? And then people are like, no, no, he's not into porn. And you sort of see how people used to see porn differently. Now I think it's more acceptable than it was then. Probably. Well, he had to hunt out porn. That's the thing. Yeah, like, he had to He wasn't it. just going on the internet and finding it. He had to go out to a store. He's probably paying more than twenty nine ninety five. Yes. for the porn that he is purchasing right. all the time. Yeah, right, right, right. There's a, there's one where he like has a penthouse and he opens it at, at some kid's house. And he's like, look at this. And she goes, oh, you, I thought you must have already read this one. And he has, I have, but look at the note inside. <laughs> so they really, really 
hit it pretty hard. Like from season one, there's hints of it, and then now it's like just an established thing. It's funny because watching it, I remember being aware of it, but not feeling it was as obvious. Yeah. Until the body swapping episode, that was the one where I was like, oh, they really hit it on the head here. Yeah. But I guess watching rewatching these, I'm like, oh no, they definitely have it oh yeah no just a couple of episodes ago there was something where they're like he's like have you been watching my tapes and she's like not those ones like <laughs> they just have like a fun porn thing going on um there's rat tail productions i thought that was a fun name for a uh, uh that guy so how does he get that tape he just gets it on the airwaves this is part of the actual problem with my my problem the storytelling of this episode is that he he gets it from a satellite feed that he's intercepting, right? And so that's reasonable enough. It would probably have been scrambled and stuff, but whatever. He gets it that way. He then sells it. The first thing he does with it is sell it on the back pages of magazines, which is like, huh? Mulder happens to buy it just when the government or the Japanese government figures out that this guy has it. Right. Gets there the minutes after. Right. How long? You know how long it takes to get something shipped to you when you buy from a magazine? Yeah. It's like four to six weeks as a starting point. Yeah, you got to send in a cashier's check. Right. And then when they get to this town, Allentown, uh, as made famous by Billy Joel, uh, they not only do they find this guy who's dead, they discover that uh, apparently half the town has been abducted. That meeting of abductees is enormous. That is true. And either... either well, but it could make sense that they're targeting this town, right? But you would think that at some point Mulder would want to make note of that like gosh scully there's a you know out of this town it's not that big there's 18 women who have been abducted repeatedly and it's all women or is this just the case that the show is saying that this is how many people across america are being abducted it doesn't feel like that feels crazy it just feels like but it feels like to me this is part of the bad storytelling thing where it's like how does he find the tape he gets it in the back of a magazine the japanese guy gets there just before he does and then scully walks down the street to discover the truth about her abduction yeah it's just a, it's part of the whole thing where they just, just feels, feels convenient feel so, and it's so non-proactive it's crazy yeah. how they just stumble into this story they do but at least they're they're still trying to but it feels like they get super lucky a lot of times in this one especially it's like crazy in this one yeah lucky. that's what i mean yeah it's usually lucky. it's been pretty good about like them earning their breakthroughs in this one you're right there's a lot of like they're just stumbling into stuff or also, one thing that I notice now more than ever, and it happens all the time when they're like um, with the abductees, and she's like, where is Betsy Hagopian? And they're like, and then it cuts to them at the hospital, and she's getting an MRI. Like, you don't have to take Scully to the hospital to show her. You'd be like, oh, she's really sick. <laughs> well, she's in a hospital. <laughs> well, the ladies say, we would, we would tell you, but the cardinal rule of filmmaking is always show, don't tell. <laughs> but so why don't you even if this, it makes no sense. Why don't you get in this car and drive an hour and a half There's away? There's 18 of us, <laughs> so that's about six Ubers. Wait, we don't have Uber yet. so I have the 10-passenger church van. Yeah, all right, exactly. <laughs> Let's all get into it. I also like that thing of where she, they're like, uh, they all hold up their chips. Like, you guys just carry that around, or were they like, hey, a new one's here, so bring your chips. It'll just be a good, like, show like and tell that, moment. I like that they carry it around. I, it's, it's a neat... It's actually a really neat uh, look at how support groups work, sort of. They're all carrying their problem with them. And they're, oh, all, yeah. they're all addressing it directly. It's always present. They're never hiding it. Um, and they're all there for each other, and they're all there to walk her yeah. through it. Yeah, and that's it's neat. I guess that's the interesting thing with how support groups work. I guess Emily would know way better. Obviously, you want to deal with it 
and uh, you know, pushing it aside is not the way to deal with trauma. Right. Obviously, you want to you want to confront it and deal with it, but also you don't want it to define you. And with these women, it seems like that's clearly a very big part of their lives if they're you, carrying the chips around. But I would say again, it's a metaphor. It, you know, in the show, it's literal. But I would say it's also sort of a metaphorical thing. If you have a trauma. You're always carrying it. You're, it's always there. Right. It's just a matter of how you're dealing with it. Right. They're dealing with it fairly well. They're dealing with it. They have it in a little bottle in their bags. Yeah. It's there. Uh, did you see the Babadook? Yes. It's the, it's the Babadook. You can never get rid of it. Yeah. You got to just deal with it. De- deal with it. Yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah. Babadook. It's a little like, hey, single parenting is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Even if there's a, you know, Babadook around. Um <laughs> Uh, I liked that movie a lot. That kid was great, I thought, in that I movie. I liked it, the movie. You didn't love it? I liked. I, I, I thought they showed the monster too much. Um, but at least the monster was very stylized. It was like, it looked very specific. It looks like Jack White. It looks like a flat Jack White. Yeah. Flat White. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the kid I liked, the kid is um, just irritating. Yeah, the kid sucks. Like, even, I know he's been through a lot, but even then, fuck this kid. That's what's great about it, though, is that you really side with the mom as yeah. things get hard and she just can't deal with him. Yeah. You're like, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. This kid's impossible. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks for her. It sucks for her. Um, Beacon in the night and then Skinner slowly walks in. Skinner's pretty great. Continues to be great. Um, oh, uh, the I paid twenty nine ninety five Scullium entitled to a few more answers, don't you think? That's he cute. Really, I like that. Yeah, that was, that was uh, cute. Yeah. I feel like if they were earning these answers, I would like it better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a great setup for his continuing to investigate. Um, it's fun. It's funny. Um, but yeah, they're just not earning what they get. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I was never really clear of how how Mulder knew where to go next. It seemed like they sort of... So, so this is in 731 where she's with Pendergrass, the guy who's in love with... Oh, Pendrel. What's his name? Pendrel. It, Pendrel. And he's looking at the chip and then they find that it's made in Japan and then somehow he figures out through sleight of hand where it was manufactured, kind of. And then she... And then that place is the place where the lepers are? Is that right? Um, it's at least shipped either to or from that place. I can't remember which one. I think it might be to that place. Maybe shipping it to that place. Okay. All right. So that makes sense, I guess, kind That's of. That's like the sort of like central place where they're... Maybe implanting people. Although you'd think they wouldn't just do it UPS. And that's yeah. how he finds it. He checks UPS. Yeah. Those guys look pretty rough. Also... The lepers? The lepers look rough. And then the alien face people who... The mass grave. But they don't cover the mass grave. I would argue that's the second most important feature of the mass grave. Is that you cover is it? the top. <laughs> the, the most important is the dead bodies. Clearly, right. without that, it's just a hole in the ground. <laughs> But if you're making a mass grave, you have to cover it. Yeah, that really seems like a huge oversight. Huge oversight. And there's like 30 of them. They could be like, all right, I mean, killing them was cool and stuff. But it's also weird to me that all these soldiers know that this, um, these, these things are out there. Well, this always ends up, that ends up being the defining problem in every single conspiracy theory is the number of people who have to know. Right. To any, any large-scale conspiracy theory, those, sh- those soldiers all know which is like 30 too many guys. And those already. are not guys making a ton of money. Those, just, those aren't. Well, they probably actually are doing pretty well. But uh, what, like 150 a year? No, they're probably like uh, like Blackwater type mercenaries. Okay. If I had to guess. I mean, okay. It's not really clear. Yeah. Uh, but and they're probably the most elite, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, those guys know then everybody at their base maybe hears rumors and then you know, they have families, maybe they have nightmares, and then there's guys that are supporting those guys. I'm there are guys sure that are cleaning up over there. Uh, you know, it's 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 a lot of people. What I do like about that aspect is that you've learned before hints that this conspiracy is global. A lot of countries are involved. Here you see uh, something that would be realistic if this cons- conspiracy was happening is that not everybody's sort of playing with each other. Like the Japanese are sort of doing their own thing. There's like it's not a smooth running conspiracy. There's like defect it's, it's yeah. interesting because there's the the idea that maybe the japanese are doing their own thing maybe we get that it seems like from the guy in the syndicate right yeah it could be lies so the fact that he's giving because the, the, what's what i love about the mythology aspect of this episode is it perfectly walks the line of either aliens or just awful government secrets and it could you could walk out of this episode and believe either one right because it could just be Horrible experiments that have been going yeah, on. Yes, Scully or Mulder, yeah. Right. And so that's what's really great about it. So when he gives that whole story about, you know, he was doing this on his own or whatever, that's just part of the bullshit right. smokescreen, possibly. But you don't know, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, which is really cool to me. And they really make it work really well, which is why I think this is, uh, you know, the, the, the last couple that we watched, those were the best mythology episodes and they were the most exciting and it was like a, a rush. Big reveals. This is the perfect murkiness. Yeah. Where it's like, wow, this really could be either thing, anything, right? Yeah. And they're both very plausible. And then it's this murkiness that ultimately leads to the death of the X Files, which I because they never really resolve it, and then they keep adding more complications to it. That's the thing. Once you keep trying to make it over complicated because you don't want to reveal it or or right. end it, then you end up in a, in a real problem. Right um, here, this early, it's perfect. Yeah, on AV Club, Zach Handelman was saying like this is this premise shows, and he as a premise show he mentions like Star Trek, which is like a bunch of people on the ship, they go do crazy shit, and it goes as long as it goes, and then it ends. And then he says, and then there are problem shows, which is like there's a specific thing that needs to be solved, Killigan's Island, right? And he says X Files is like they got to figure out. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to it, but him finding what happened to his sister. This specific conspiracy, that's like the problem. Right. And he says the problem with problem shows is that you kind of have to keep, like, you have to keep Gilligan on that island, you know, and sometimes it can start to feel a little funny. He calls them like Wiley Coyote shows, like, where it's like, it could just never succeed. It would have been great if they'd resolved it and then moved on to another big conspiracy. I mean, there's. X-Files is so malleable. There's so many different things you can do. I mean, we talked about this before, but the one lesson I think that Lost learned from X-Files is end it. Yeah. Like have an ending. Like you have to have a date. Whether or not they, like, whether or not we can talk about whether or not we liked how they ended it, they had a date. They 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 negotiated a date as opposed to the X Files, which just dragged on for nine seasons. Right. You know, far beyond what it should have. Right. Um, I like uh, Mulder in his mock turtleneck with his hair down. I think that's cool. Hanging out with lone gunman. Um, uh, she she's really good in that whole meeting. She's her her acting is really really good. Where it's like she she knows emotionally it's true, but intellectually she doesn't want to believe it. And obviously this is like upping the stakes for her involvement in the conspiracy. So so it really works from that perspective. But it's also it's really good because she knows these women are right. We know these women are right. It's all the same. But she keeps denying it and she wants to run away. And I think that really gets at like. Um, how Scully would react in that situation where she, you know, she, she keeps telling Mulder, I need proof. The difference between me and you is that right. I need proof, which is kind of a dick thing to say. But um, uh, but, but I, it is the crux of the faith versus science thing. Right. That even a scientist that you can tell them, you know, this is, a, you know, if this works this way, then 
this answers all of our questions about science, unless you have the math to back it up, a good scientist is never going to accept it. Right. Exactly. That's why she's a great character, and right. Mulder perfectly works, because Mulder is the guy. I thought... Mulder, in a way, is sort of... We've, you talked about this. He's like a kid, right? He's sort of like a shitty like kid of privilege. Right. And he has almost no... So when he gets on the train and he like knows that that's the door and behind that he thinks is the truth, right? But he has no like plans on how... He just goes and asks the guy, hey, could you just let me into that? Thing? Which is, I think is how Mulder would be. He's very, very direct. Um, he also has no plan when he gets in there, what he's going to do with that information. Like, it's, this is the, the other part that's really key to Mulder is that because it's so personal for him, he wants to walk in, see an alien, know that it's an alien, and then he, I don't think he has any idea what's no. next. He doesn't know. Like, what do I do with this? I don't have a camera on my phone. This is before, yeah. which he lost anyway, but like... He wants know, to know, yeah. Right, he, just, he wants to know. This, yeah. is, this is not about proving it to anybody else, uh, which is his I- immense fatal flaw. Which is the idea that it's just it's just about his personal thing. Yeah, I mean, and I think him jumping on that train is a great example of that. Where Scully's like, "Don't jump on the train," and he just fucking jumps on the train. Like that's exactly. I thought why these episodes worked was in splitting them up. I usually like them together, but I thought splitting them up was good, and they're both sort of having their own, um, you know, discovering their own things, whether earned or not. Right. Um, even with Scully, I guess it's true that she just stumbles into that group, and then they just tell her a bunch of stuff. Which is a really good inciting incident for her to investigate and find other things on her own. Right. But that isn't what happens. She just keeps getting things given to her. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, they're, um, what else? Oh, yeah. They're carrying the, um, I said, why take her to the MRI? Why not just tell them? Um, I like that Scully's journey was a little more emotional and Mulder's was more physical, where he's literally running around behind. Uh, uh, for this train. Do you know what's funny is watching these again now, and I haven't watched them in a long time, and I, I am revisiting, uh, and I'm much older than I was when this show aired. I like Scully better this time than I did the first time through. Yeah, you know, I, f- I liked Mulder in the beginning, and then each time I've rewatched it since then, I, I've always identified with Scully more. Because he's kind of like a dick, and like as I get older, He's I'm a like, total dick. He's a dick to her. As I get older, I'm like, that's less appealing to me, like what a dick he is all the time. Yeah. Like, no, and, her, and the fact that she deals with him, and that she is committed to the cause, um, and doing it right, now yeah. that I'm an old man, I'm like, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Do it right. Do the scientific method. You don't <laughs> have to be a dick. No, totally, because he, and he's such a, he like, Orders are around all the time. And I used to, you know, when I was a kid, my favorite, like, the people I liked in sports were always, like, dicks. You know, I would hear them do, like, some shitty thing. Like, there was this cricketer who was my favorite, but he was a dick. And uh, he, one time, he said that they were tampering with the ball. Like, you're not allowed to do that. And the ref, the umpire was like, no. So he went and got a camera and took pictures of the ball. One time, uh, he didn't like the field. And, you know, games last like five days. So in the middle of the night, he went and with a shovel, just dug up the field so they couldn't play anymore. Wow. And I was like, that's so badass. No, it's not. That guy's a fucking dick. <laughs> and I remember once where he was playing, we were playing India and he hit like a big shot and he like pointed at the guy, the bowler and like pointed where he hit it. And the next one, the guy got him out. And th- then the Indian guy pointed at him and pointed at him like back to the dressing room. I was like, fuck, he, this is the bad guy. He's the bad guy. The, the, the other guy won. Sometimes good guys are Indians. What a breakthrough. 
What a breakthrough. Well, you know what's funny is that um, I don't know if you do this with uh, with Emily, but I do this with my girlfriend sometimes. I find myself doing Mulder stuff, like if I'm in, like on the computer. And you know how Mulder will like Scully will walk into the office and Mulder yeah. will like say something like, Cryptic. like, like yeah. do you, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, like that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. I find like I'll do that every that now and again to my one. girlfriend. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a dick right now. Yeah, like I'm doing like I'm I find something cool and I'm like. You ever heard of Walt Disney? Yeah, it's not. He's oh, turning us into dicks. Such a dick. Yeah, he's turning us into dicks. Uh, you know what? Uh, Chris Carter is really good at these kinds of lines. Past deeds which may illuminate present treacheries. I like, the, he, he's like very good at these sort of flowery yeah. things that only really work in the mythology episodes. Right. They don't work in the one Well, everything's like heightened and, and a little bit yes. bigger. Yeah. Yes. Um, monsters begetting monsters. I thought that was a good line. It's racist. Is it? Well, the Japanese. The episode is called Nisei, which is the second generation Japanese. But isn't it just about these well, it is, uh, bad just, people making it, it, it monsters? Is, it is, but the bad people in this episode are Japanese, so oh, yeah. it's racist. I mean, it's very racist, because. but listen, hey, they shouldn't have done the stuff they did. <laughs> and that's the part we'll take out of the podcast. <laughs> Great. Um, I liked the part where Scully, after the meeting with those people when she goes back when she's got her guard up and she just leaves when she's talking to Mulder she like lets it down where she's like it was freaky you never hear Scully saying that kind of stuff I thought that was really cool little moment and shows you know their relationship I thought that worked really well it's weird when they're when they're separated they you really get the sense of how much they care about each other uh, that he really wants to talk to her about these things. Yes. She really wants to help him. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's sweet. It's very nice. Um, when they're talking about the experiments that the Japanese uh, people did and said frostbite tolerance levels on infants in their pictures, I, those pictures are real, aren't they? Yeah. They're real, right? Yeah, Unit 731, uh, pretty horrible. And we don't really talk about it a lot. Um, for whatever reason, there was not real uh, uh, war crimes trials. There was no Nuremberg-type stuff, really. Yeah. And the, 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 the Soviets did. Yeah, the Soviets uh, did, and apparently some Soviets got some of the Japanese people, and but the emperor was allowed to stay as part of like... As long the, as he said he was no longer a god. Is that what that it was, was? That was part of the thing. He had to say he was no longer... He had, he had to tell the Japanese he was no longer a god. So he got to stay. He never paid for what he did. And then these guys, it says... You know, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it said basically the Americans sort of used their research for, you know, to develop um, biological weapons of their own. So these guys never really paid for their sins. And it's many, many, many people died at Unit 731 in Ping Fang. Um, look it up. It's like really horrible. Many of the researchers involved in Unit 731 went on to prominent careers in post-war politics, academia, business, and medicine. Some were arrested by Soviet forces, but most, you know, most were not tried for war crimes, and most of them were sort of not even officially pardoned. They just, like, it's it wasn't so pursued. Weird. The Japanese, um, we focus so much on what the Germans did in World War II, and, you know, rightfully, I mean, what the Germans did was, yeah, yeah, yeah. was monstrous I mean, on an unreal level. But yes. the Japanese were pretty terrible, too. Yeah. I mean, the Japanese were really horrible to the Chinese. Uh, Unit 731 was one. I mean, the Rape of Nanking is just one of the great, one of the most in- incredible war atrocities of all time. Uh, I mean, what these people, what the Japanese did was just beyond belief. And for whatever reason, you know, the Soviets went after them a little bit because they did some of this stuff to the Soviets because they had been at war with the Soviets before and they were at war with the Soviets when we were two. Um, but for whatever reason, we never really internalized this stuff. And so unlike- I think it feels racist 
to be like, oh, look, the, the horrible things that Japanese did. I actually feel like it's the opposite. I feel like nobody in America cares because they did it to Chinese people. And because, well, I'm sure that's part of it, because, too. And you know what I mean? So the Germans were doing it to Europeans. And so even though it was Jews who, you know, the racists don't But we like have Jews much, here. But that's the thing. We, right. you know, so it, it, it feels less like the other. So the Japanese attacking, the, doing horrible things to the Chinese, well, that's, that's them That's like there. you guys figure that out. Right, you figure that out. We're, yeah. we're busy over here. Yeah, like when kids are fighting in like a sandbox, like you guys just figure this out. Yeah, it's really weird. And, uh, but we just never really did it. And uh, there's a really terrific movie about Unit 731 called Men Behind the Sun. Um, which is one of the most disturbing gore films you will ever see. It's a movie. It's not a doc. It's a movie, um, although it may or may not have real animal death, and it may or may not have a real autopsy on a real, li- on a real boy. When is it from? Uh, it's from the 80s, I want to say, Hong Kong. Really? Yeah, it's a Chinese movie, so it's angry, too. Oh, sure. So it's angry. It's like... These guys are monsters. Is it actually good, or is it just like sort of a shock movie? That it's a little bit of both. It's yeah. it's a pretty good movie, um, and it's about stuff that you never knew about, uh, but also in levels of shock, it's it's incredible. It's really fucking gory. Yeah, um, it's it's real next level. Um, you know, and it's a movie that's like been banned and stuff like that. It's hard. It's harder to find. Uh, it's certainly way more serious than like Ilsa Shewell for the SS or other Nazi exploitation movies. Sure. Uh, but Men Behind the Suns, if you Men Behind the Sun, if you have the constitution to watch a movie like that, where there may or may not be an actual dead boy having an autopsy on film, uh, you should check it out. Okay. After that, Sal. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, <laughs> There's an interesting thing that happens in here that where they specifically, one of the things you hear a lot uh, when talking about the X Files is like, after all the stuff Scully's seen, why does she not believe? That's like sort of the joke that everyone sort of makes when they remember. And so far, I feel like they've done a pretty good job of keeping Scully like pretty sane, and she just wants wants proof and stuff. And in a way, is much more reasonable that Mulder is. And they kind of address that head on where Mulder sort of says to her, like, after everything you've seen, you've seen like. These things running around. You, you, you had the thing in the back of your neck, and she, she, you know, she says, "Believing's the easy part, Mulder. I need more than you. I need, I need proof." That Mulder goes, "You think believing is easy? That's a pretty good exchange." And I think that sort of directly addresses some of the concerns that people have about the uh, Scully's character specifically. What I think is really interesting about Scully, especially after this duology, is that whatever Mulder believes, he believes like weird sci-fi stuff. Scully has walked into a mass grave on American soil. Well, filled with what looks like aliens. Right. But even if she can say these are like deformed kids or whatever, it doesn't make a difference. It's still a mass grave on American soil. The fact that next week she's going to be able to go have just some other investigation is kind of yeah, amazing. It should me. just be like, fuck these monster of the week things. Yeah, this is actually, they are murdering 30 people at a time. Yeah. And they appear to be child-sized. Yeah. Uh, this is real bad. We should just work on this. We really need to get to the bottom of yeah. this shit. Oh, another case came in? Give it to somebody else. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a werewolf. Okay, you guys, good, yeah, yeah, good luck yeah. with the werewolf. You guys take care of the werewolf. <laughs> um, I'm gonna be here. Yeah, yeah. Is, is a serial killer killing one person at a time? Great. Uh, I think the other FBI people can handle it. I thought they really show a lot of the alien or whatever it is. They show it a lot. I thought you know it's always sort of obscured except when they're in the mass grave and then when they shoot them. I like the one in the suit because you kind of see it. And I really liked it when Mulder's looking through the little peephole on the, in that car. And you just sort of see it obscured. And it was really sad. It made me really sad um, 
just this thing that's there and it dies it just it just dies at the end <laughs> and we don't even really are that concerned about it Mulder should be like oh that thing was back there and it died right. he doesn't have a moment like that right that is interesting though well, because i think that's again part of his weird personal thing it's not it's none not a of person. this shit makes a difference yeah. until he gets the truth it's all he wants is the truth yeah. and we already had that discussion about you know scully saying to him it's about justice not the truth right um and especially now after this it's right. sort of like man this is the shit that is happening is is out of control. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's there's a lot, lot going on. Do you know? I want to say. Uh, so the episode, one of the subplots is about a Japanese submarine. Yes, uh, that's real. What do you mean? That it's a real submarine, Japanese uh, submarine, gold, uh, a sunken Japanese submarine in the Pacific, full of gold bullion, maybe three million tons. And we never found it. Nobody ever found it. Uh, it's Yamashita's gold. Uh, and uh, they were going potentially to buy radioactive material from the Germans to create a dirty bomb, and they got sunk uh, because they had to change the the, the the sub had to change its uh, heading because of D-Day, uh, and so it was going to come around to, to to France to occupy oh. France to make the exchange with the Germans. It had to change its its uh, its heading. Oh, wow. A five destroyer sub killer group found it and sank it. Well, see, that's, nobody's ever been able to. People have been looking for it because there's so much gold on it, right? Ever since, and nobody's ever been able to actually get it. That's when X Files. We talked about this. Is that it's especially in the mythologies when it's using like real life stuff, right? To uh, I love it. It's it's yeah. so cool because this was one of those things where it's like it's one of the great sort of like mysteries of the sea is like where is it's a lot of fucking gold. Yeah, you know, and it's it's just it's super neat. Uh, uh, to when they just sort of drop that, and if you're like into it and you're aware of you know World War II yeah. history and all the stuff that goes into this, it's it's pretty cool. And it also just feeds into that larger because I'm not really sure that they actually were buying radioactive material for a dirty bomb, but that is the story that they were that the Germans had made some kind of breakthrough yeah. and they well, had material. Well, it's cool because what you know you sort of know these little facts about all this stuff, and the X Files fills that in with right. like its own crazy insanity. Work. But the little like fixed points of facts that you know really sort of fit into like it connects those dots. Right. And those lines have you know aliens or whatever it is. Um, this guy, they um, with the meaning that Scully has, uh, Darren Mooney again said this. He says from the third season, the shift in em- emphasis from sort of male abductees to female abductees. He says uh, becomes uh, the show's mythology becomes explicitly and undeniably feminist. A tale about women denied control over their own bodies and reproductive organs by those in authorities. Linda badly observes, and Scully hits the glass ceiling. Uh, in short, The X-Files draws on four key tenets of liberal second-wave feminism, recognition of women as an oppressed group, two, commitment to social and political change, three, emphasis on sexual-slash-body politics, and four, a woman-centered perspective. The alien abduction scenario central to The X-Files is the rape narrative. It echoes the countless stories in which women are abducted by sky gods with agendas. It is also a contemporary version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, subjected to experiments with superovulation and hybridization that render her infertile. Scully is represented as every woman exploited for her body by patriarchy and power, as revealed in season three's paperclip, and you say on 731. Um, it says the show managers take the rather uncomfortable, let's get to the male hero through his female associate subtext of Dwayne Barry in Ascension and retroactively turns it into a commentary on institutionalized misogyny. Did you think of that stuff at all? I mean, it's hard not to sort of see some of that rape 
narrative in there. I, I'm actually really interested in the liberal versus conservative politics of the X-Files. Yeah. Because of the era when it was airing. Um, and because of the larger anti-government perspective of the show. Yeah, big government. It's against big government. And But there's a guy... We talk, I talked about him a little bit last time I was on. And uh, he wrote a book called Behold a Pale Horse, uh, Milton right. William Cooper. And um, he... Basically, and I would love it when next time you're speaking to anybody from the X Files, if you were to ask if this book at all. Here, let me write it down. What's it called? Behold the Pale Horse. Yes. And it was published in '91. And I don't know if at any point it sort of like impacted these guys because he writes this ultra, it's an ultra conspiracy. So he ties everything from the Kennedy assassination to FEMA into aliens and the Trilateral Commission and the Bilderberger Group and the Illuminati. He ties Bilderberger every, Group? The Bilderberger Group. What is that? Uh, it's just another one of these world-ruling okay. uh, corporate okay. groups. And uh, he, uh, he ties them all together uh, in this alien narrative where aliens are taking over the Earth and Kennedy was assassinated because he was going to reveal to America that, in fact, the entire aliens. government had been infiltrated by alien presence. Um, Sounds pretty X-Files. It's very X-Files, but he ended up becoming a hyper-militia guy. Like, he was a, he oh, was a Navy guy. That makes sense. And then he got into, like, the whole FEMA camps and the concentration camp stuff that was, like, really popular with the militia dudes in the 90s that led to the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They talk about that, too. Because he, he believed in a new world order. Which is a part of the X-Files stuff. Right. Um, it certainly is. And uh, Milton William Cooper, uh, over time, started saying that the Clinton administration and the IRS were out to get him. The IRS went after him for evasion of taxes. They uh, had a warrant for his arrest. He went on the run. Went off to high with the militia. One month after 9-11, he was shot dead by federal agents while resisting arrest for his IRS debts. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's and pretty crazy. And it's one of those things where you're like, perfect. Wow, that's pretty nuts. Like, Did he have guns? Was he shooting back maybe? I'm not 100% sure what. The, I'm, he must he have been. Seems he seems like a guy. He was holed up. He had become the darling of the militia movement. And he had gone off to go hide with militia guys. Yeah. So he probably did have weapons. I'm, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not spinning the conspiracy narrative on this. But it's when you look at the fact it's that he It's pretty was, cool. No, November, November 5th, 2001, weeks after 9-11. Yeah. The guy. The guy, the conspiracy guy in America, is shot dead by the government. Like, yeah, you're like, oh man, that's Silas him. That's pretty crazy. Uh, but that's why I'm interested. But because his, all of his conspiracy theories are the exact same theories as the X Files. But he's hard right, where the government. Right. But here's what it breaks down to. It's about, and the X Files actually, I, I think, addresses this later on in the series. Do you think the government is doing this stuff to control us or to protect us? Or they just. They're trying to do the right thing. Right. right. Is it the right thing or is it because they want to have control? Right. And so that's the, that, that's the left-right divide. So, and for the left, all of this stuff, for the left and the right, all of these things, you know, Project you know, 731, uh, paperclip, bringing Nazis into America, these are all horrible things, but right. from different perspectives. Uh, and so for the, the left, it's all about, well, this is why the military-industrial complex is bad. Right. For the right, it's all about they're undermining our military structure to control us. Right. So it's kind of fascinating. It's the exact uh -huh. same conspiracies, the exact same stuff, just seen through the different prisms. Yeah. That so. is really interesting. I could see both kinds of people. Because there was one episode when DC was on and we sort of talked about left-wing, right-wing stuff a little bit. And a couple of people on Reddit got really angry. And I was like, oh, these are like hyper-conservative people who also like this show a lot. Right. Because, I mean, the, the, the themes of the show are super conservative. It is the government that is in your face, yes. that is taking away your liberties. 
Yeah. Uh, that is doing all these terrible things that is being funded by taxpayers. Yeah. And the NSA is doing all these terrible things and we just don't care. Right. It's crazy. Did you see Citizen Four yet? No, I really want to. Is it out? It's out. I think it's playing on the West Side. I just saw it this week. I mean, since the since the guy in this episode says he's an NSA agent, yeah, uh, I think it's a, sort of a good time to talk about this right. because it is an unfucking believable movie. I always was like, oh, I always thought that the Snowden guy didn't. S- they tried to paint him as this guy who wanted glory and stuff, and I never thought that he was like that. He seemed, what he did, I would think, undeniably the right thing to do. It's so crazy because the movie, the first half of the movie is they filmed the meetings between Snowden and the journalist that ran his stuff. So this is footage of him hiding out in Hong Kong, talking to the journalists, giving them the files. Before any of us know who he is. Before any of us knew what was going on. Nobody, nothing had been published yet. Wow. And one of the things he says, Fuck. they're talking about, like, well, when are we going to talk about you? And Snowden says, at some point, the media is really personality obsessed. So they're yeah. going to make this about me. I want to get as much information out before they make it about me and obscure what the truth is. Right. I mean, the, and he's 100% right. They always do that, like, with the Wikipedia. With the Julian Wiki, Assange, right. guy. Yeah, Julian Assange, we, like, demonize him, and he becomes this weird, like, you know, before sex guy Before we say demonize, he may or may not be a rapist. And so... Sure, but... but but it doesn't that matter. Not, that, 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 right, that is the point. The is it doesn't matter. Right, the point it becomes is, more about right. him when it really shouldn't be about him. Right. It should what, be about the information. Right. The information. Yeah. Is that movie terrifying? It's. It's upsetting, uh, like in a really deep way, because you hit this point where um, you're like, nothing that he's actually saying is a new to me. You know what I mean? Because I've been paying attention even slightly, you know, over the past couple of years. But also, be none of it surprising, even. So you're sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. That this is what they've been doing, and you're like, man, nothing's gonna get done. And at the end of the, by the end of the movie, there's like footage of different like other countries doing hearings, but there's no hearings in America. There's nobody has done anything. No, nobody has done anything. And I mean, honestly, this sounds like a conspiracy thing, but the people. Like, the media really kind of doesn't want to cover this stuff. It's weird. It's one of those things where, yeah, like, it's it, this is one of those stories that makes it very easy to understand the conspiracy mindset. Yeah. Because you have to say, why the fuck would you not want to cover this unless you're in collusion with the people? Exactly. It's just, it's crazy. Now, this is obviously an enormous story. This should be the story. But it's not. I mean, yeah. the, the other way to look at it is that psychologically, Americans don't care because Americans continue to buy into the rhetoric of the war on terror, which is like, well, I don't have anything to worry about. You can read all right. my emails. There's nothing oh, in there. Yeah, and we're voluntarily telling people everything we fucking do on Facebook and right. Twitter so every it's day. Just, so there's a psychological aspect. Yeah, privacy to it. has become sort of uncool. People, we're not as uh, used to. I mean, reality shows. It's all voyeurism. There's a line. There's a oh, somebody's giving a speech in Citizen Four that's really interesting, and it's this guy says. When we talk about privacy, what we're talking about is what the founding fathers used to just call liberty. Yeah. And the fact that we all say that privacy is dead and that we don't care about privacy anymore is terrifying. Because literally there is no difference between the concept of – because privacy wasn't really a concept per se back then because it was just – you just had houses and you lived in them. Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, You weren't sharing things in the same way. But the fact that the same concepts that they had as liberty, as in give me liberty or give me death – we consider privacy, and we just say, "Well, hey, privacy's we're post privacy." Yeah, we were saying we're we're we're, we're post liberty. I in school I studied Hannah Arendt, who's like a social mm-hmm. philosopher. She wrote Eichmann in Jerusalem, 
uh, have you read that book? A oh, Report no. on the Banality of Evil? It's so, so good. And she wrote these articles for The New Yorker covering the Eichmann trial. So it's like a very, very easy read. But it is like he was just a family guy. You wouldn't think he was evil. He was just a boring vacuum salesman or whatever. And then he just did this. And it really, it's it's very interesting because that's where the idea of like the, you know, he's not like a seductive evil guy. He was just a guy who, and if you make a certain kind of uh, situation, people will do horrible things right. as long as there's a certain structure is there, which is the uh, Milgram experiment, right? right? So... Uh, but she talks a lot about privacy, and she talks about how the it's very important to have your home be your home, and nobody can come in, and that's really important to have like a, like a society that works. And she talks about how Nazi society basically sort of killed that because people were telling on each other, and that right. became part of it. There was no there was no privacy; nobody was allowed to. Um, she has a specific term for it, I forget, but but now that's all gone, and we're fine with it. It's horrifying. It's weird. It's really weird. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we were talking in the past how you couldn't do the X Files today because of cell phones and stuff. But after watching Citizen Four, I'm like thinking maybe we need the X Files today. We need the X Files today. Because there's so much crazy shit happening. We really do. And the way that the X Files, you know, talk about Paperclip and 731 and told a whole new generation about these things, maybe we need somebody who's doing stuff about this. Yeah. Nobody, nobody knows about this stuff. Nobody talks about it. Um, Going back to the show, the one thing that um, I thought the when they're because because it's sort of second episode is kind of breakneck. There's a lot of stuff happening. Mulder's running around on the train trying to figure out what's going on. She's sort of running around, and then it all stops. And Scully's in a room with one guy, and Mulder's in a room with one guy. Right? Right. They're on and different trains. They're they're on different trains, and they're sort of. I thought that would be a good. What I thought was going to happen was there was going to be philosophical debates with both people, with him and the NSA guy being like, hey, I think what you're doing is wrong. He's like, really? Am I? We've had these kind of conversations before, but I felt like this could happen again. And then with Scully and the guy from the syndicate who clearly knows a lot, that doesn't really happen. They don't really have that kind of dialogue. I thought the Mulder thing works. I thought it was very suspenseful with the bomb and everything. I thought that was cool. And I thought the way that she figures out the... Passcode. It's of really how to cool. Get it's cool. It's good. That's really good storytelling. It's there at the beginning and it's of not the episode. A cheat. Right. It's right. That you see it from the beginning, right. and it sort of totally makes sense. And there was a really great moment where she's like looking, and they're on the phone, and Mulder goes, "Are you there?" And she's like, "Yeah." And it just was like a very real little moment where she's like quiet because she's looking, and in movies you'd just be quiet, but right. he's like, "Hey, are you still there?" I thought that was really cool, and that was a good reveal. But I felt like it's um, there should have been. It just wasn't the philosophical conversation that I was hoping that they would have. It's either that one guy's telling her the truth or he's just lying to her. And then the other problem is that it ends with, yet again, Mulder as the recipient of the help of somebody who knows more than he does. Because X just shows up, shoots the guy, and carries him out. Yeah. And you're like, man. That's a like, total deus ex, yeah. He's just got, he's literally deus ex. Yes. Got, got oh! in the X. Wow. <laughs> we really stumbled on something there. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he came on this show because I used to love 21 Jump Street. That guy is great, and he's very different from Deep Throat, and that Deep Throat just wanted to help him out and give him information was sort of the... We he's talked mad about all the fucking time. X is mad all the fucking X time. X is pissed off. I don't yeah. know why he's helping. He like kind of doesn't want to. We talked about this, I think, where he's sort of like the dick dad, and the other guy was like the nice dad. Right. 
and Skinner is like Skinner is like the alcoholic dad because you never know <laughs> you don't know which one you're gonna get. Yeah, even in this episode, it's weird. Like yeah, Skinner's you, like sort of like a dick, and sort of on their side, but then kind of not. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm you guys do your own thing. <laughs> um, the part where Mulder gets on the train and he goes to that guy and is like, Hey, the by the way, that train conductor guy, he's out of his depth in this episode. The whole time he's like. <laughs> What? You're giving me a gun? What the fuck? There's an alien? But when he goes to Mulder, Mulder goes to him and is like, hey, can you let me in? He's like, I can't let you in. And Mulder goes, but I'm a federal agent. It seems so whiny. It's like, do you know who my dad is? It's so like, it's so whiny. If you made the show today with the kind of serialization that we have today, that train conductor would show up in the season finale dead. Oh, yes. I would like think so. Like in a current, like breaking, a post-breaking bad world. Yeah. He would show up in the season finale dead. Yeah. Um, I thought that the NSA guy was really good. I've seen him in a ton of stuff. Stephen Hattie, he plays the old Night Owl in Watchmen. That's right. And what else is he in? He's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. That guy's really good. Yeah. He's got a great face. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. I like that he strangles people with the piano wire. I like That's that. like his move. Very old-fashioned, very nice. I like it Yeah, and Mulder goes, oh, instead of guns, they're giving you, I guess, piano wire. I thought that was cool. Yeah, he has like a signature way of killing people. That's yeah, really good. Yeah. A guy strangling people on a train... Is real old school. It's yeah. nicely old school. Well, no, it feels like sort of a murder on the Orient Express right. or something like that, but there's like a murder mystery. And, but th- that guy, that the, the Japanese scientist guy, he gets dispatched pretty quickly. Are we going to talk about the fact that the Japanese scientist guy knows karate? We're going to bring that up? It's just that one guy does. It's not a whole thing. That one guy does. He just it's happens fun. to. He just, that one knows. Okay. That guy knows. Okay, I just want to be Yeah, yeah, no, no, sure. no. It's this not isn't like a statement a thing. about Japanese people. No, no. <laughs> that guy knows, and he's great with a samurai sword. But that guy. <laughs> and he can make great sushi rolls. But it's just that guy. <laughs> Nothing else. And he's great with electronics. But just that one guy. He's carrying a camera every place. Yeah, he takes pictures, but he likes to document it. But it's just that guy. <laughs> It's that guy. It's not a stereotype. It's that guy. He's into weird sex stuff, but it's that guy. Tentacle porn. Just, just that character. He orders used panties from porn stars, but it's just that guy. I do like that Mulder says, I got, I got tired of losing my gun. Yes. Good, right? It feels like that was clearly, like that was a thing that they saw someone say, he's always losing his gun. And so they wrote Every that Every TV cop and, and, and secret agent loses their gun. Yeah. It's always, it's the number one. Uh, trope. Yeah, so I like that. It feels good that they 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 they, um, they reference that. Uh, Pendril references tech heads. I like that. Pendril's cute. Um, he's like- not Danny. I know that people think he's. Some people think he's Danny. Well, Pendril has a story. He goes on. Yeah. He has. He he continues on. Yeah, he's sweet. Yeah, I like him. Yeah. And I was like, when he said when she leaves and he goes. Uh, she goes, keep it up, and he goes, keep it up yourself. And he's like really hard on himself. I'm like, that's how it would be if I met Julian Anderson. <laughs> I'd say something stupid, and then I'd be like, fuck, fuck you, Kamal. What are you doing? Um, I also like what I, well, he goes, uh, when he's working, he's like, I, when he's talking about the chip, I effectively destroyed it when I was working on it. Like, make a bigger deal of that. And she should be like, you fucking destroyed it? What are you talking about? He just like <laughs> slips it in. I destroyed it. Anyway, that's all gone. But don't worry. Keep it up yourself. Uh, I like Pendril. I like Pendril. Um, and uh, a lot of the... Uh, I like the evil dead shot of the lepers under there. Um, I feel real bad for the. Does that guy get killed? The leper guy? The long-haired guy? I can't remember him showing up again. He doesn't show up again. 
So he must die, right? They must. They probably, probably firebomb the whole facility. Yeah, which is what they should have done in the first. That's what how they should have taken care of them. They should have had a fire. You don't have to take out just these super alieny looking ones and shoot them and then leave like an open face sandwich of a mass grave. <laughs> That's it's a pizza bagel. It is real. I, I it's I can't get past the mass grave only because it feels like such a level of escalation of yeah. like terrible ev- oh. things oh, yeah. that you just like. This is like what happens in El Salvador. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. so crazy that Scully is able to just move along for the next seven years. Right. And just be like, oh, yeah. right. you're definitely doing that. It's, it feels like something that Mulder would see, and then Scully would right. be like, I don't know. I don't know, Mulder. That's pretty crazy. That's, That's crazy. really hard. Right. Because um, it's funny, because you know, going back to Edward Snowden, watching the Snowden movie, and they're talking about like how he he didn't tell his girlfriend that he was leaving America. He just disappeared while she was Yeah, well, he didn't want anyone to know, because he didn't want anyone to get in trouble, right? Right. And so it's one of those things where, when you think about it, you're like, well, the the reality is the U.S. government – so there's a weird thing in the, in the movie where Glenn Greenwald, who's one of the reporters who, who broke this case, his boyfriend was shuttling communication back and forth between Snowden and, and Glenn, and he got detained in the U.K. airport for nine hours. The and boyfriend it was, did. Yeah, it was like a really big deal. And it's weird because the only reason why this is weird and this how this has in the X-Files is that the reality is that in America they don't kill people. Do you know what I mean? Like, if right. this guy was doing this in Russia, he'd be dead. Yeah, yeah, But we yeah. don't kill people and here. And it would be some kind of fun poison that changed the color of his skin. Right. Yeah. But here we don't do that. We just sort of harass you and hassle you, yeah. and that's what keeps it under the radar more. Well, well and they so, kill, except they killed that uh, IRS. Well, they might have killed that guy. Yeah. They might have killed that guy, right. potentially. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they, they, but no, normally they don't do that. Right. And so it's interesting that, like, a guy getting held up by customs for nine hours is, like, a hassle. Yeah. As opposed to under Putin, he probably would have been skinned alive. Right. And so it becomes in this weirder, larger sense of how the world works. We don't really do that stuff. Not because I think we're better, but because I think we realize it's just terrible PR. So when they're when they're when they're creating a mass grave in this, for me it feels like That's a that's line. V- that's really far. You've gone really far. Well, okay. So how does this work? So the Americans are employing the Japanese people, but isn't that guy going like sort of but then the government are they working together? Or is it... Well, I mean, in this I or in real know. life. I mean, in real life, they definitely work with the government to create um, right. stuff for the Korean War. The guy, the main guy from U-731 died when he was like 59. He had uh, throat cancer. Um, he became a Christian before he died. Uh, and he... Uh, oh, great. He, he apologized for everything. And is that what put him under like God's control so that God could finally give him cancer? Well, he's in, he's in, he's in heaven now. Yeah. So oh, great. So he All made right. It. Happy ending. He made it. That baby that died on the way to the baptism, in hell. Yeah. But because, this guy, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. in heaven. So good get for baptized. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I mean, I think, I'm not sure what the truth is in this because, because it's coming from the syndicate, right. the information that we have, it's There's unclear. no reason for him to tell her the truth. The only thing that makes it seem like he is, cigarette smoking man is um, translating the, the uh, diaries. Right. Right. At so, the end. It sort of feels like maybe there's stuff that, that they, they don't know. Oh, the, the syndicate doesn't know. Right. The if, they have to, man if they is... have to bother translating his diaries, they're trying to find something out. Ah, okay, okay. So yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only reason why I think that maybe he was telling the truth about that. And always the, the old rule about lying is the, the truth is always the best lie. It's how you present a truth is always the best way to lie. So if this guy was doing rogue stuff, 
but had been also doing this with the government all along. Yeah. Because it does seem to fit in with the other stuff in the in the mythology with the idea of that they have either UFO technology or advanced technology that causes radiation. Right. Po- poisoning. It makes sense. And then these guys are anti-radiation monsters. So you anti-radiation they, they, monsters. Well, that's what this, that, that's what the NSA yeah, yeah, yeah. Is. That's they're, right. They're immune to the effects of an atom bomb. Right, so right, they, right. They, they won't get radiation poisoning. Right. So although some of them have burns, so obviously they've been testing the radiation on them. Yeah. Some of them, it's not, it's not quite perfected. Yeah. Uh, so if they have, you know, as we saw, like in the second episode, if they have uh, ships that are giving radiation burns to the pilots, right? They're breeding people who don't who who, who, who can are, who yeah can withstand that yeah, right. and they look horrible. They look like a mess. <laughs> but then it does mean that they've been working with them all this time. Right. But he yes. may have also gone rogue. Right. So well, it's confusing. That's why you said it. But, but at this point, it's good. It's murky in the right way where it could be either thing. Right. And we don't know. And they both seem believable in the X-Files world. Right. I can, I can believe either one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even though I know where it goes. Yeah. Um, were you when I was a kid, I was very terrified of leprosy. I was like, oh, this is because I'd re- heard somewhere that it starts with just a little spot that you can barely see, and you, if you put a needle on it, you don't feel it. No, I was. So never, I was just pricking myself with needles all I over. I was never afraid. I, you were never afraid of leprosy. No, I love leper leper jokes though. Yeah. What do you call a leper in a hot bath? Soup. Stew. Okay, pretty close, but stew works because that's somebody's name. That's somebody's name. That's that's the that's, that's the joke. That's the joke. Nobody's named Soup except for E Sales. <laughs> what? Why did they Why did they cancel the leper hockey game? Um, because of because there was a face off in the corner. All right, got it. Great, <laughs> great. So I had these. I was really into leper jokes. Yeah, as a no, kid. I was. Terrified. I would um I would take leper books out of the library and bring it to lunch and show kids. I think I'd seen some Jesus movie and that scared me. What was like a Jesus movie? Last Temptation of Christ. There's a lot, and that's one of his things. He goes into the leper colony. Yeah, and all lepers insist on jumping. I remember on him. specifically seeing a movie that scared me, and then I was scared for. There's a pretty good leper bit in uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen that. Um, I've seen... Uh, uh, maybe I have seen it. That's like the lot of singing in it, right? It's the musical, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's actually a rock pretty opera. funny. It's a rock opera. Yeah, I liked it. My friend was in it. Um, the, yeah, the guy who strangles people, that's his move. I like that move. Um, I thought that, that was when the guy's trying to kill Mulder and then the guy, the train conductor, who's has like who's out of his depth, runs out and locks them both in. Th- there should be someone should have been like, awkward. Like we tried to kill each other. <laughs> now we're just stuck here. Uh, I do like he's he's unwilling to make a decision. Yes. It's just, you know what? You guys work this out. Like I can. Of course. I That's what I would do. Like I've done enough. Don't give me the fucking briefcase. <laughs> You're giving me a gun without bullets in it. Terrible. That's just gonna make somebody mad. Like if you're pointing a gun at somebody, yeah, and then they find out that you don't have bullets in that gun, yeah, they are just gonna be so angry. At you. Yeah, they're gonna kill you with a piano wire. Why doesn't Why doesn't he give him a gun with bullets in it? Because he knows he's just gonna shoot the bullets all over the place. <laughs> he just knows he's gonna. He's just gonna. And then the train car. He's especially. gonna. He's gonna shoot that poor girl who finds the dead. The dead uh, Japanese guy. Yeah. In the bathroom. <laughs> he's just. <laughs> um. That uh, room that Scully and that guy are talking in, I like that. It was very dark. And then there's like his face is illuminated every now and then. That's, I think, a good like way of how, you know, X-Files doles out information, mostly dark. And then you see a little bit of light. You watch this on DVD? No, I didn't watch it with the subtitles. Well, but you watched it on Netflix then. I watched it on Netflix. When, um, speaking of lighting, when uh, Skinner shows up at the cop 
the, the police station, uh, or it's real smoky in there. And that's how it looked. Like. I couldn't figure out if there was just a Netflix thing. Oh yeah, or if I it think was like. Like, are they making him come out of the mist? <laughs> like, it was real. Like, it was well, really kind of because he says, like, a, he says a lighthouse line, right? Then, right? So, so, I think they're I, really going for it. That's very cinematic to put, like, a mist in the police station. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, hey, there should be a police officer <laughs> coughing in the background. There's no smoking in hey. here. Yeah, exactly. Did someone drop a smoke grenade? There should be, like, a guy, like, oops, in the corner. <laughs> real, real naked gun kind of jokes. <laughs> Um, she, uh, I like the conversation she has with the guy where, he, where he's like, I know most everything about you, Dana. And she's like, how? And he's like, I think you know. Like, yeah, you know what we've did, done to you. Uh, Which, again, now with Citizen Four and the NSA is more relevant than ever. These, oof, they know everything about us. Is it on iTunes? Or, well, Not yet. It, they know it's, everything about us. Did you see the thing where Uber... They just saw that the Uber app on Androids is sending like all this information. All of your information, yeah. Pretty much everything. Like even when you're not using it, like yeah. where you are. So basically they know where everyone lives. And you know that the head guy said like, I can go after journalists who's given, who've given me bad reviews and stuff. Yeah, but it's so convenient. You know what? I started it's using cheap. Lyft. Lyft. I won't use it. Why? Uh, two, two reasons. One, a car with a mustache on it shows up. Not anymore. House. They don't do that anymore? Yeah, they lost the mustache. Oh, that's good. That's very positive. Uh, Two, their culture is about talking to the driver. Is that the fucking... Because I was like, recently, I've just had so many conversations. I hate it. I don't want to talk to you. Like, I want to... Why do they do... Is that part of it? They encourage it? Yeah, they want you to sit up front, and to end the lift, you have to touch phones, right? Don't you have to, like, have physical... No. No, anymore? That used to be how it was. It used to be that you had to do a fist bump. fist bump. I don't do that anymore. No, I'm trying to pay. I sit in the back... And I just go, but every single Lyft driver, I've had long conversations. They all, that's part of the culture of Lyft, is that it's like a friendly meeting people thing, which I don't want to do. I just want to get where I'm going. Yeah, but it's a small price to pay for not supporting like a pretty... Lyft also got a terrible rating from the Better Business right, Bureau. They both failed Better Business Bureau. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah, well, because they're ultimately exploiting people because I think they get them on board by giving them bonuses. And then later, the money you make really isn't, you can't really live on it. So it's just, they're just cycling in new people all But the I feel time. like neither of those services launched as your main job. Didn't they both, when they launched, feel like, hey, got a job, need some money, have four hours a day, sure. we drive people around, make some cash. Yeah, and, and people know that, you know, they're not going to make a ton of money doing this. But in the beginning, like, they were, they would get, like, Big signing bonuses and stuff. I want uh, all I know is I like Uber because I like driving around with Armenian men. It's like my favorite thing. Yeah, I'm really into it. You I like want like a fun name that could be a GI yeah. Joe villain? Every single guy that comes, the name is weirder than the last. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. The, I love it. It's it's so nice. Yeah, I'm I na- I'm naming my Dragon Age characters after <laughs> Uber drivers. <laughs> but Uber's cheaper than Lyft too. It's not much cheaper. Well, you're on TV. No, it's not much cheaper. <laughs> I mean, you get what you pay for, They're right? They're driving you to a helicopter. I get yeah. it. They're driving a helicopter. I get it. No, I honestly, Uber is one of those. I know so many people that tweet about Uber and they're getting like money for it and stuff. But really? from the beginning, I was like, this is not, it always felt shady. And I was like, I'm never going to, I used Uber a lot, but I was never going to. I feel like as an Italian, it. I appreciate things that are shady. Okay. I have yeah. a deeper appreciate, but much like the Italian Dude, I'm syndicate from, guy. I'm from Pakistan. Come on, man. <laughs> I remember we were like, uh, they did like a thing of like top 10 most corrupt countries. 
And we were like second. And I was like, see, that's how corrupt we are. We were able to pay our way out of being number one. That's how you know we're actually number one. Because we were able to get out of being number one. The one who is number one, they're not that good at it. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, Mulder says the gunshot wound to the stomach is a horrible way to die. And I'm not a very good shot. And when I miss, I tend to miss low. He just threatened to shoot his dick well, off. He should shoot his dick off. Yeah, pretty yeah great. he's just going to shoot that guy's dick yeah, off. That's pretty good. I thought that that guy was going to turn out to be one of the bounty hunters. But he was just a dude. He's just a dude. It's interesting uh, because he's a cool dude. Like, he's a good villainy dude. Yeah, like, I like that guy. But I guess it's better to kill a guy like that. Because if you keep having cool villains show up who they never kill off, if you keep cry-checking villains, yeah. it gets kind of boring. Eventually. I think you really have to have the one cry-check, because I think cry-check really works. Because I think he's really... You never know where he stands, cry-check. You know he's a bad guy, but he sort of is mostly in it for himself. Right. And that actor is really good at playing good. He's good at... That guy... When he's playing good, he, he's different than when he's playing bad, and I think that really works. People just like that character, and I think that character really worked. I saw a girl. I like Crycheck. Yeah, Crycheck was great. Whenever he shows up, it's great. And he's like a cockroach. He's a survivor, you and know? his arc is pretty terrific. Yeah, and it's, he's got a lot of really it's, cool it's, stuff it's, to do. It's getting the, 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 the big cool stuff is coming up like pretty soon, I think. Um, whenever Scully does the X, I get sad. It's like really, really bums me out. And when she's like talking to Mulder and she, he goes, you mean I get my 29.95's worth after all? Like, you can let it go now. You're going to die in a bomb. So I think the quips are not necessary at he's, this he's, point. He's leaning on that bit a little bit. He's much. really leaning on that bit. And it's a callback to the last episode because he didn't, hasn't made a reference in the second episode <laughs> until the end. So he's really been holding. Like, Scully almost off camera to talk like, listen, it's going to be really good the next one. You're hitting the 29.95 thing real hard. <laughs> And so he's like, all right, I'm going to get out of this car. This is my last shot. <laughs> Pretty good. I like that, the way that they do it, because it does make sense that Scully would be the one, like, uses her brains to figure it out, and she sort of watches right. that tape a bunch. And uh, I, th I thought that was a good... They, they really earned that. And it's a good fucking explosion at the end. It's a great explosion. He just walks away. Yeah. He walks away. You know, people walking away from explosions and not, like, flinching still is cool. It's, I, it's one of the, my goals in life is to be on camera doing that. Really? I've been able to, like, I've fulfilled some pretty cool go goals in life. I went uh, this year to the uh, stunt team that did John Wick, and we shot a, a, a gunfight scene with me. Really? And it was fun. Why? Uh, it was promo for John Wick. Okay. Uh, it was great. It was cool. But, like, it's not very good, but, like, it's a thing I did. You know, yeah, now yeah, I have yeah. it. So now I have to find a stunt group that will let me walk away from an explosion. Yeah. And then I have to find the... That's expensive, I have though. to find the steel within myself. To not flinch. To not flinch. Like, that's that's <laughs> that the hard funny. part. That's You're just walking part. slowly. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. explosions are expensive. Yeah. I mean, that's because it's not like filming a fake gunfight. No, we just did it with cardboard boxes and, you know, prop guns in, in, in a gym. And that you have it? Cheap. I have it, yeah. It looks good? It looks fine. Define good. Uh, it's very funny. I define good as good. Uh, it's funny? It's cute that, okay. I, you know, that I'm doing these things. It's yeah. cute. Apology has become policy is a good line, and apparently we saw it on Netflix. Uh, but apparently, it's the the apology tag, is yeah. policy. Uh, it's it's the opening thing. Yeah, it is funny that anybody would get mad about discussion of politics in this because this is so political. Yeah, and people it's were like, so leave it out. It's, leave it out of the X Files. It's the most political. This thing. is so, the idea that yeah, and the underlying political idea here is that our system, which is supposedly about the orderly change of power, 
uh, in reality is being run by a secret organization that uses the false orderly change of power as a way to say, sorry, those other guys totally fucked this up. Yes. But it's the same dudes. It's the same and dudes. So it's like a very deep That's political right. message. I mean, right. It's really terrific. Um, I want to, yeah. I sh- oh, here we go. Oh, I sent it to you. I sent you one where the guy was like, uh, it was too political. I sent you that email, yeah. right? And then that guy was like, on the Reddit, like fucking talking about it a lot too. It's a really political show. Again, I think what's really interesting is that you can approach it from either direction. Yeah. That it's the military industrial complex out of control yeah. or it's big government out of control. Yeah. Uh, but it's super fucking political. So yeah, the idea that apologizing for radiation experiments is a political move is a cynical It's thing. really cynical. It's really crazy. Yeah, it's a real bummer. He says, uh, found today's episode really hard to listen to. I guess I found it way too political. I'm not sure if it's because I'm a Canadian or because I don't generally buy into U.S. leftist leftist political memes and propaganda or what. And then later, after all of this, he says, also, I found it a little strange to hear you poo-pooing the WTC7 conspiracy theories. What, love that. What, what, love are you, what are you doing? What side are you on? Well, the conservatives are super... They're super, super into these horrible conspiracy theories? The, the truthers, yeah. Yeah. It's like the libertarian right right wingers. They yeah. they wouldn't identify as GOP. They would identify with Rand Paul, right? Um, Bill so they're Mark. really crazy and dumb. Yeah, really crazy and dumb. <laughs> it's a dangerous combination. That's what sucks. It's like sometimes you you think that people who listen to you are people who you would agree with, and then you get this and like, oh no, you're reaching a lot of people that a, a lot of people that suck. It's crazy with between Gamergate and now Ferguson. The reactions that I get to some things that I tweet, I'm like, why are you following what are me? You, how did you find me? Like, this is, you do not, you have, there's like a whole different internet for you. Like, it's a go there, enjoy it. I'm so happy the Gamergate thing died. It went away, it's gone. I mean, those people are still horrible in there, but as a... Uh, as a movement, it's Well, gone. I don't even want to call it a movement. As a harassment, whatever group, it's, it sort of went away. What sucks is the people who jumped on, like Breitbart and stuff, who like used it. The, the fucking lawyer, Jack, what's his name? The yeah. guy who's Jack Thompson? That lawyer was... They brought game. him back, yeah. Unbelievable. Well, that was the moment where everybody was like, oh, you guys have lost your... This is you're out of your mind. Like, if you're trying to defend video games, the only person in American history who's ever tried to make video games illegal, you have now brought on your side. On your side. Right. You have totally undermined your entire... Yeah. I honestly, whenever I would tweet about it, I would get so many people who like, we're not going to listen to indoor kids anymore. Like, why are you listening to it? Don't listen to it. Yeah, that's my thing. When people are like, you know, I like what you, I like your reviews, but I hate your politics. I'm like, you know, I don't want you reading my stuff. Yeah, just go I away. Prefer, I would prefer to be like unemployed yeah. than to have a horrible audience yeah. that is full of hate. Yeah, like all that Bill Cosby rape stuff. The fact that so many people's first instinct was to be like, these women are lying, which is, I was like, I tweeted something where I said, rape is a much bigger problem than women who lie about rape. And people were like, yeah, but they're both problems. And I just was like, I'm just going to block everyone. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to fucking hear it. Fuck you. Is the Bill Cosby thing a sign of progress that there are white conservative dudes defending a black guy accused of a crime? Are they really? Well, that's what's happening. Because they're the guys guys who are like, well, these women lie about rape. They're all almost all white conservative dudes. So like, is that, is that progress that they're willing to like, are they torn between hating women and hating black guys? Yeah. Which side do I come down on? Yeah. Here? Oh. It's really, <laughs> they were like, um, there's a, Michael Brown's still a thug. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hannibal, who Hannibal Burris, who kind of brought out all the Bill, yeah. Bill Cosby stuff to light. He has a joke where he says he was on U porn and he saw like, 
uh, uh, like a black guy and a white woman having sex and all the comments were racist. And he's like, I like the guy who's like really racist, but is also very turned on by sex. So like, <laughs> doesn't quite know. It feels like the same kind of thing. Like, I don't know what, he's black, but I do get to defend something truly horrible. <laughs> the Hannibal Barrest thing is so interesting because he ends up being the final guy in a line of black comedians who have kind of pushed back against Bill Cosby. Yeah, starting with Eddie Murphy. Eddie, well, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, yeah. a bunch of these guys who have pushed back against Bill Cosby because of his puritanical yeah. approach to comedy. And then Hannibal Bress is like the latest in this line, the new generation. He actually broke Bill Cosby. Yeah, he won. He won. He beat Bill Cosby. I've seen so many tweets from black comedians I know who, I wouldn't say I'm friends with them, but I know, who are like angry at Hannibal for it. It's a crazy fucking weird thing. I it's it's I sort of get it. It's sort of one of those like this is our thing. Let's us deal with it. How? But that's the thing. Nobody deals with it, right? No. The, right. You if it's your thing, it's been going on for a long time and you haven't really dealt with it right. very well. Fuck. What do you think about what do you think happened? I think he raped those ladies. He did, right? Like really, I know a guy who who worked with two of the ladies that he raped. Yeah, he yeah, he raped him like it's yeah he did it. What a horrible horrible thing. Anyway, um, well, you know what somebody brought up? He was drugging and raping women that he was also having consensual sex with. So that was like that's a whole other creepy thing. Do you read about the Letterman stuff? No. Where he was on Letterman, he uh, part of his deal for going on Letterman was that the female staff members had to come watch him eat curry. Oh. Yeah, it's a weird power thing. It's so weird. It's, it's no so good. weird. That's no, no good. That's it's so crazy. It's creepy. It's no good. Oh, wow. It's amazing that he hid it for so long being like, he was the but biggest. He didn't. I knew about this for 10 years. No, but how years. did it, how do you not like pay for it? Like Michael Jackson, that was a much bigger thing. Um, and he was the biggest star in America for Six, seven years, and this stuff was happening during then. How did none of it become a bigger deal? I mean, I think he's paying people off, and I think sure. also, I think it was also nature of the patriarchal system where women did not feel comfortable coming up and saying a thing about this powerful man. Yeah, and it's really going back to the feminist stuff in the X Files. It's exactly a symptom of how women are kept down by a system that is inherently built to make them feel like they are less and they are they, they like they, they don't matter. So that's why the support group ends up being really great in, this, in, the, in these episodes because yeah. it's women banding together to assure each other you do matter, your experience matters. Yeah. What happened to you did happen to you. They're going to claim that you're crazy or that you misremember it, but it's true and we're all here to support you. Yeah. You like how I brought it back to the experience? You really did. Very, very impressive. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about these episodes before we move on? Summation? <clears throat> I just, in summation, I just love that this is another episode. I mean, the paperclip stuff was sort of well known. I mean, the Wernerbaum Braun yeah. stuff. I mean, like that people knew. There was like there were yeah. like there were, there were songs in the '60s making fun of Wernerbaum. Who is that guy? To, uh, Tom. Tom Lerner. Tom. Yeah, yeah he's was great. The, and the the line is, um, you know, like I I forgot the, the not the exact line, but it's like my job is to build the rockets and make them go up. It's yeah, like, I don't know why they, they come, come down. down. Yeah, right. I mean, so people knew about it. Like yeah. it wasn't a secret. But 731, nobody knew about. And people still yeah. don't know about 731. Yeah. And we don't talk about the rape of Nanking very much. And we don't no. talk about the atrocities that the Japanese committed. But I read a thing that they said that this guy in the government 
said the rape of Nanking never happened and the government didn't denounce him. It happens to this day all the time. And there are still Japanese – there's a the thing with Japanese politicians going to visit certain shrines to certain military units that's like very complicated internally. And they're still doing it, like like atrocity units. And they're still visiting shrines to, to, to these guys. And it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated oh. – it's a very complicated thing with connecting to the past – um, it's it's it's. I find all this very interesting, and it's one of the themes of of the show is dealing and living with the past, past atrocities. And I'm, yeah, I'm super interested in how how German kids today are so disconnected from the Holocaust and are kind of sick of hearing about it. <laughs> you know, um, my girlfriend was telling me that she knew a kid who uh, grew up in Germany, and the thing was when the when the kid moved to America, the thing he couldn't get past was that all the kids had American flags. If you were a kid growing up in Germany and you had a German flag, they'd be like Nazi. The idea of nationalism is just been taken away from them. Yeah, I mean, and rightfully so, by the way. Yeah, listen. they started two world wars. Yeah, let's, you guys be, did horrible stuff with yeah, nationalism. Like, like if, if little kids can't yeah. wear German flag shirts, yeah. it's okay. Like exactly. that's the least of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's sort of like alcoholism. Like you sort of did too much, and yeah, now you can't. You, you can't have it. Not even one. Yeah, one sip. Yeah, but I don't care if it's your birthday. Yeah, that the cultures in Japan is a culture that is, is trying to forget what happened in World War II. Germany is a culture now where a lot of people are kind of like annoyed at the constant reminder of what happened in World War II. Uh, you know, we're we're very close to the point where the people, we're we're probably ten years away from losing everybody who has firsthand knowledge of the Holocaust. Yeah, who saw it? Well, it's interesting because certain things become big and then certain things don't. Like that, obviously, the Holocaust, everyone talks about it. But you know, Pol Pot, we don't hear very much about that, or the stuff in Indonesia, we don't hear very much about that. Like, it's interesting how, or the Hutus or the Tutsis. I mean, that stuff is really, really horrible. What do they stuff. all have in common? Yep, They're exactly. Not I mean, They're not. What they all have in common. They're yeah, not white. And exactly. So Western media doesn't pay attention to it. Yeah, and so. Uh, I mean, those people in Indonesia, none of them paid for it because, and, and nobody ever thinks about it. Like it's, it's. You saw the act, uh, act of. Violence? I have not seen it. I'm scared to see it. It's awesome. It's not scary. It's heavy. I saw a five-minute like, clip that you had on your website, and it like made me want to throw up. It's heavy. Where he's like dancing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, is, it's really fascinating. It's sort of like anybody who ever wonders like what would happen like if Germany won World War II. That's a movie to look That's at this. because this is because those guys, the guys who committed genocide, won. Yeah, and then they just get to be themselves. Yeah, and then what happens when you're a genocidal maniac who won the war and you didn't get a government job and you're just living? Yeah, and that's what it's about. That's what that is. That's yeah. so interesting. There's a sequel. Uh, the gosh, I'm gonna get fired because this is our movie and I don't remember it. The look of the look of something. Uh, but it's a sequel where uh, a guy whose brother was killed in the genocide uh, is now an optometrist, and the filmmaker gets all the people who helped kill his brother to come to his office and get an eye exam. Why? And the optometrist then confronts them one at a time. And he wanted to do it. Yeah. Because there's no reconciliation committee for Indonesia. I mean, there's nothing, nobody, nobody there's paid no, for nobody it. Nobody paid for it. Nobody ever gets yelled at for it. Nobody ever talks about it. So he ha- has no recourse. Uh, it's pretty fucking. You amazing. saw the movie, yeah. The second one's good too. It's the second one is shattering. Uh, it is um, unbelievable. All right, wow. Uh, see, this is what I X Files. You, you used it to talk about a ton of shit. It goes all over the place. Yeah. It does go all over the place. I mean, From last porn to the Indonesian uh, genocide. Yeah, <laughs> we really covered a lot of ground. I mean, Indonesian genocide and Bigfoot porn. <laughs> 
pretty good. I think I think this is the most wide-ranging podcast available. <laughs> it really is. Like uh, last week, uh, I had Rhea on, and we talked about a lot of very serious stuff because it was about like war war veterans who uh, you know saw horrible stuff and now they have to live in normal society. And we talked about this woman uh, who basically has this trauma and never. Uh, and then people don't believe her and stuff. Scully is the one of the ones who doesn't believe her, and we sort of talked about that a little bit in this episode too. But I, they use like you know serious themes to show fucking alien shit. It's kind of fun, and this is this is the height of what genre can do. Yes, you can that's use, why I love horror. And you sci-fi. can use weird aliens or monsters or crazy things to talk about real world things in ways that everybody can find palatable. And if we're just willing to kind of look below the surface, we can really come to amazing discoveries about ourselves and the world. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, plug your stuff. You can find me on Twitter at DevonCF, and I have a brand new podcast uh, on Pop Wolf, which is the new Wolf spin-off. Pop. Wolf Pop. I, you know, I keep, I keep doing it wrong. It should be, yeah. I think it should be Pop Wolf. It's Wolf Pop. I, I, I type in Pop Wolf. It should be Pop Wolf. I like Pop Wolf, don't yeah. you think? Like it's a wolf who's into Pop. Well, it's pop Earwolf, wolf. Pop Wolf. Yeah. Right? It should be yeah, something yeah, yeah. wolf. Anyway, it's Wolf Pop. It's the new spinoff uh, network for uh, Earwolf, uh, the comedy uh, network. We're much more of a, uh, a, a pop culture thing. Yeah. Uh, I have a show called The Canon, where myself and uh, LA Weekly film critic Amy Nicholson uh, argue every single week over whether or not a certain movie belongs in the canon of the great films. And what was the most recent one you guys did? We just did Jerry Maguire. We've done... um, How do you feel about that? Before we started it, when I went to go watch it, I was worried that I was going to be like pro and agree with her and it would be a boring episode. And then I watched it and I was like, no. That seems like a movie that does not hold up. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's like seven and a half hours long. And And she loves it still. Yeah, she loves it still. She wrote a whole book on Tom Cruise, so she's really in the... the, the I read that excerpt. Um, but we did, uh, we done Goodfellas, Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. We did Romeo plus Juliet. Okay. Uh, we did, uh, Jeremy Maguire next week. Uh, well, when this is recorded, I don't know when it's aired. We're going to be doing our first head to head episode. Only one Star Wars movie can make it into the canon. Oh, so we're arguing Star Wars versus Empire Strikes Back. Sure. Because the rest of them obviously don't. Sure. They're, they're obviously immediately, I like, they're yeah, all yeah, out yeah. of contention. Like, not right. even a question. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That'll so, be a good uh, one. You can find that all at, uh, wolfpop.com. Or on iTunes. Well, um, speaking, this is going back a little bit again. Uh, HBO is doing this Scientology documentary. Yes. And they have hired a team of lawyers to protect them. But that's interesting. That's a group that's very X-Filesy, who's like, seems like they're up to shady shit and nobody wants to talk about it because they kind of run this down. You should read Going Clear. Yeah, I want to, because this, this movie's based on Going Clear, but it has more stuff in it that's happened since Going Clear. The book is crazy. It's really nuts. And it's real. It's real, yeah. It seems so, so interesting. It's just funny because Scientology at at their height of their power would just crush you legally, which is why HBO is lawyering up so heavy. I don't think they have that power anymore, um, which makes them more vulnerable. But they're still torturing people, so we should definitely talk about it. They're torturing people? Oh, they torture people. (laughs) they've, 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 They've starved people to death. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, and Badass Digest? Badass Digest always. Uh, my, my, my home on the web. Uh, we are probably going to be knee-deep in Star Wars stuff uh, yeah. for the foreseeable future. Yeah. To time. This is Today is the day that you guys won't be hearing this for a few weeks, but today is the day that the, the teaser came out. Um, all right. Thanks for coming, Devin. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Devin Faraci with Nisei and 731. Um... Usual stuff, you know, 
uh, follow us on Twitter. Oh, email me at thexfilesfiles at gmail.com. Thexfilesfiles at gmail.com. And, you know, keep it... <sighs> I thought, I was like, come up with a catchphrase, you get started. Yeah, no. You, and yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. Maybe it shows up, you Catch know? People research catchphrases for months and months at a time before they really decide on one. Okay. So, you know... Um, get to work. Research. Okay, here it goes. Ready? It's not truth until it stings. I actually don't mind that one. That one's not bad. Okay, alright. Signing off. It was me. <laughs> Feral Audio. Do you like science? You like jerks? If you answered yes or no or declined to state because Illuminati, man. Then you should check out the Science Jerks podcast on the Boardwalk Audio Network. Each episode, we talk about science news and play games with our comedian friends. The Science Jerks. It's science merged with comedy. Because Let's do some science. <laughs>